All right, uh, we've been in uh, the book of Philippians, and so why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Uh, we're just getting started in chapter 2. Uh, where we've been before uh, was, obviously, chapter 1. I mean, that's, that's how math works. We go in order. Uh, but in chapter 1, Paul ended basically by saying, you know, for to me, to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, my life is going to look like Christ. It's going to be all about Christ. I'm going to do the things that he did. I'm going to think the way that he thought. And, and if, if I'm going to die, he says, to die is gain. And, and he understood that, man, if, if I push as hard as I can, they're going to take me out of this world. And if they take me out of this world, I'm just going to go be with Jesus. Right? So if I'm going to live, I'm going to live like Jesus. If I'm going to die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And, and hopefully, you know, we were all challenged by you know, the things that we saw from Paul's walk and his determination and his, his zeal you know, for God and his word and for getting the gospel out to everyone that he came in contact with. Uh, but if, if you're like me or if you're like most people, sometimes you know, that can be a challenging message, that can be an encouraging message, but, but it's not always a, a make-you-feel-good kind of message, right? Sometimes it's, it's a little bit discouraging. Hey, you know, life is tough. Go for it. It might get tougher. I mean, that just makes you feel great, doesn't it? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's just, yeah, life stinks, right? And that, that's what it's all about. No, that's, that's not what it's all about. And, and so maybe, you know, Paul was picking up on that. And so if we look at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, you know, he, he starts off by saying, if there be therefore, so he's relating back to what he's already told us, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ right? Sometimes we need some consolation, some consoling, right? A consolation prize is for that dude that didn't win, and you want to make him feel better, you give him a, a consolation prize. You, you do something to console him, right? The a consolation in Christ, he can console us. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, right? And so all of this stuff that Paul's referring to, he said, look, if there." These things exist in Christ. I know it's a hard road. I know life is difficult. I know I've told you you got to go for it, and it's worth it. And sometimes you can't see that from the perspective that you're in right now. But man, I'm telling you there's consolation in Christ. There's comfort. There's fellowship, not only with one another, but there's fellowship with the Spirit of God. He's there in you, with you, all of the time. He's not going away. Right? If any bowels and mercies, and that's basically just saying, you know, you're so connected to God. It's, it's in the gut, man. It's, it's all the way down to your gut. He's, he's connected, and he's going to show mercy. He, he goes on in verse 2. He says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul's telling the believers that, that it would fulfill his joy if they were unified. Right? He's, he's, he's established this church. He had to leave quickly. He's kind of worried about what's going on, so he's trying to write to them and encourage them and challenge them. He says, man, nothing would give me more joy than to know that you are like-minded, that you have the same love, that you're of one accord and of one mind. Right? He's saying, if, if you guys would stick together, man, that, that would be the fulfillment of my joy. That would make my life and the investment that I had put into you, man, that make it all worthwhile. 
going to jail, getting beat, all of the things I suffered for you guys, if I knew that, that would, that would fulfill my joy. All right, and so Paul understood that in order to be truly unified in Christ, everyone has to think and act like Christ. Because when we act like ourselves, well, we're not unified with anybody, except for ourselves, right? And we've, we see that uh, consistently through this, this message. So everyone has to think and act like Christ, and that's what the rest of this passage, we're going to go from verse 3 through 11, we're going to dissect some of this stuff, we're going to do some Bible study, and see what Paul and God has to say to us about this being unified and, and how we pull that off. So let's go ahead and read verses 3 through 11, and then we'll get into the rest of the details. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll get into the, the notes that you've, you've got. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for Paul and, and his understanding that, you know, sometimes when we hear a tough message, we need a little encouragement. Um, and it's interesting that this encouragement comes a little opposite from what we might expect. Uh, we're, we look around this world, and everybody's scrambling to, to stand up for their own rights. Everyone's scrambling to try and have their own identity, to have a reputation, to be somebody that matters, to, to stand out in this world and be remembered. And you give us the advice, in order to be unified, we've got to do the opposite. And so, Lord, that, that can be confusing when we're hearing conflicting messages. And so we just pray that you would shine the light of your glorious word into our hearts. You would make this very clear and show us how to apply it uh, personally. Uh, we love you. Thank you for this uh, crowd, these folks that have come out tonight, and, and we're so uh, excited to, to see what you have for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so right off the bat, the first thing that we see is if we're going to tap into any of this consolation or comfort, if we're going to be unified, we're going to have to fight against our own selfishness. Right? We saw this a couple of weeks ago. The first key to all of this is what I'm calling selfless esteem. Right? We've heard of self-esteem. Right? You've heard you know, people have low self-esteem, so you've got to work on that, and you've got to feel good about yourself so that you can treat other people nice. And, and Christ and, and Paul say quite the opposite. Right? The Bible doesn't tell you you need to love yourself first so that you have what it takes to love other people. The Bible says love other people. Right? Don't think about yourself more. Think about other people. So we see that again. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife, or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The world wants you to be focused 
on your own self-esteem. I mean, the, the message is everywhere. The world wants you to believe that, that you have to feel good about yourself before you have anything to offer anyone else. We see the definition of this word esteem in Romans 14. Verse 5 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So esteem is just the measurement of something, right? How we value things. Sometimes we don't necessarily make that known to everybody else, but it's, he says in, in this verse, fully persuaded in your own mind. You've already made up your mind the value of things. You, you know what you appreciate, what you don't appreciate, what you care about, what you don't care about, right? And self-esteem is caring a lot about yourself. Should not come as a surprise if you've been walking with the Lord for a little while, if you've been reading his word, that God's not all about you having high self-esteem. Like he doesn't, he's not about you feeling bad about yourself or hating yourself or you know, having a, a poor self-image either. We'll get to that. But it's something totally different when we look at God. All right, I have a video clip. Are you guys ready for that? All right, how many of you have ever seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not condoning this movie necessarily. I think there's some funny stuff in it. There's a lot of cuss words in it too. So I'm not saying go watch this. I'm saying don't go watch this. We're just going to watch a clean clip. Okay, so when you guys are ready, go ahead. So he gave you your next, your, your first blanks there, your next blanks. He says, I have <laughs> no name. When I was writing that down, that was the clip I thought of. It's not the funniest clip in the movie. But the more you watch that movie, the more you quote that movie, and then you got problems. <laughs> I have no name. He says, nothing by strife or vain glory. You know why you fight about things? Because you have pride. And I have pride. And we have vain glory. Philippians chapter 1, we saw this earlier when we were in, in the first chapter. See, it says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. These, we saw, were other believers preaching Christ, but they were jealous of Paul. And he said, look, I'm going to celebrate Anyway, because Jesus' name is being preached, the gospel is being preached, they're doing it for the wrong reasons, but Jesus' name is getting out there. And God can sort out who's doing it for the right reasons and who's doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, tonight we see, he said, look, if you're going to be unified, you can't have that as part of what you're doing. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. 
So think about that. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone? One of you, or both of you, had some pride somewhere, right? Jenny and I, we, I mean, we get along pretty darn good. She's not in here tonight. We got sick kiddo. We get along well. When we don't get along well, most of the time, it's because I've got some pride. She looked at me funny. She responded funny. There was a tone. There was something that hurt my little feelings, and, and I snapped back, and then we've got a thing, right? It's, it's only by pride. That's where contention comes from. That's where fighting comes from. That's where war, any battle, the, the source, the root is pride. Paul dr- addresses the same issues with the church at Corinth. He says, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, you're fleshly, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? He said to the Galatian church in chapter 5, verse 26, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Issues of pride and selfishness and, and jealousy. James gives us the bottom line in chapter 3, verse 14 and through 16. He says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. He says, If this stuff is going on, Not only are you not unified with one another and you're not unified with Christ, you're unified with evil, right? Pride is only connected to Satan. God is not interested in your pride. He's interested in breaking our pride. The second thing that Paul says is that we need to focus on others. He says, look not on the things or the concerns of your own, right? But look on the things of others. He's interested in you focusing on him because of that, or God is interested in you focusing on him, and because of that, you focus on others. His point is not that we just have this poor self-esteem. He's not interested in you just feeling bad about yourself. He's not wanting you to just look at yourself and, oh, I'm just just so worthless. he's, He's interested in you not looking at yourself at all. Understand the difference between looking at yourself poorly and just having a focus on others? And understanding that others have poor situations, that others have difficulties, and you stop feeling sorry for yourself because you're just not looking at yourself. Other people have issues, and I'm here, and I've noticed those issues, and God maybe wants me to be the one to step into their life and help out. If I'm just looking at me, if I'm just worried about my pride, if I'm just worried about my ego... And, and people remembering and noticing me, what am I never going to do? I'm never going to notice anybody else. I'm never going to be able to be in a position to help. <clears throat> this is the same thing Paul communicated to all of the churches. We see it several times in Romans. Chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So you're preferring somebody else before yourself. Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. How do you do that if you're focused on yourself? Right? It's really hard to weep with somebody who's weeping when you're feeling sorry for yourself. I got my own problems. You deal with yours. Right? That's, that's, that's not unified. That's not 
how this is going to happen at all. Romans 15.1, he says, We then, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. If God has allowed you to see someone else's struggle, it's not so that you can feel better about yourself because somebody else is struggling. It's so that you can step in and help. Right? So that you can be the one that's strong for somebody else to bear somebody else's infirmity. 1 Corinthians 10.24, he says, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And this isn't saying to take somebody's money from them. right? This is instead of seeking to gain value or gain wealth yourself, you're seeking to do things to add value to somebody else's life. That's thinking of others first. So it's a selfless esteem. You're not worried about you. You're not worried about your name. You're not worried about, you know, the pride getting in the way. You know, the, the video clip, he says, man, you, you, he started to say, you can't even get a good job without a good name. So you've got to worry about yourself so that you can get ahead in life. You can advance yourself. I have no name. And let her see, you have to choose to have a mind like Christ. And all of these are related. This is all a choice. It's interesting, he says, let not strife and vain glory. So he's, he's, he's giving us the understanding that this is a choice. This is not you know, something that just happens or it doesn't happen. He says, look not on your own things, but look on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. So when you're feeling sorry for yourself and you, when you're stuck in a bad situation... And, and bad situations happen. He's saying, what are you looking at? What are you focused on? Because that's going to determine what you do next. You can choose to have a mind like Christ does. You can choose to see things the way that he sees them. 1 Peter 4.1 says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. He's saying suffering is bad. Suffering is way better than sin. Right? Suffering for the right reasons is always better than sin. The mindset, this mindset sees the big picture. This, this mindset sees down the road. 1 Peter 2.21, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. He says, learn of me. This is not necessarily something that comes automatic, right? We'll see later in, in Philippians that Paul learned to be content. You're not just content, you know, babies don't start out content. <laughs> they are quite the opposite. Right? And the longer you allow them to have what they want, when they want, they don't learn contentment. Right? Life teaches you contentment as difficulties come. And he says, learn of me. He wants us to learn to be meek. He wants us to learn to be lowly in heart. Ephesians 4.2 says, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, lowly and meek, don't, don't confuse that for poor and weak. Right? That's not the same thing. Lowly is a choice. You get down low to lift other people up. 
right? You can't lift other people up from a position way above them, a prideful position. You've got to get low. You've got to get down where they are. Meekness is strength under control, right? You can't say that Jesus Christ was weak. There's, there's, there's the opposite definition there, right? He is the king of kings. He has all power, but he has chosen to set it aside. That's meekness. It's power under control. It's power under constraint. And he says we need to learn that. Ephesians 5, 2, he says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So notice it says walk. This is the actions of our life, right? And this brings us to the next point. Before we get there, I just want you to notice something. When you choose to have the mind of a servant, which is what we're called to do here, it causes you to take the form of a servant. Right? If you choose to have the mind of a servant, you'll start walking like a servant. You'll take the form of a servant. This is all beginning with a battle for your mind. He says, we, we ought to put on the mind of Christ. We need to start thinking the way Christ thinks. We need to start seeing things in agreement with what God's word says. And we'll start acting like God words ex- expects us to act. So the second thing that we see is the physical example of Jesus Christ, Christ's example. He says in verses 6 through 8, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's an interesting little phrase there. And, and a lot of times, you know, people want to know if they're, they're new around us, you know, why do you guys only use the King James Bible. Well, we're, we're old school fundies and we just, we just like to be grouchy about it. No, it's, there, there are legitimate, that's part of it. We like being grouchy. No, no there are legitimate reasons. This verse brings up one of those, one of the issues, you know, that we see that in the other versions, the NIV says, rather than saying, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That means he he doesn't feel like he's stealing anything. NIV says, who being in nature, God, so it agrees, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Okay. Good job. Right? He, he, he didn't want to leverage his equality with God for his advantage. It's kind of saying the same thing, but it's not. Right? It's not robbery. I'm not taking anything that's not mine to begin with, is what the King James says. That glory, that honor, that strength, equality with God is mine. It's not robbery. It's not something I choose to take advantage of or not take advantage of. The ESV says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, is that saying the same thing? That's saying the opposite. He thought equality with God is not something I can get a hold of. And the King James says, no. It would not be robbery for me to claim to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords because that's exactly who I am. But I set that aside, right? So, we're going to move on. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. I have no name. Right? That kind of sounds familiar. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. 
and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Man, there's, there's so much material here. We could spend literally hours just on these verses, but we're going we're gonna to roll. The first thing he did was he made himself of no reputation. Verse 8 says he humbled himself. Again, we have a choice. He chose to humble himself. <clears throat> Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Who is this guy? Equal with God, that's who he is. It's not robbery. Christ left the throne, he left his name, he left his glory to become what Psalm 22 calls a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. That's, that's quite a contrast, isn't it? I have no name. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. He's not attractive. This world is not attracted to Christ. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. There's that word esteem again. Here, we esteemed him not. We placed no value in him. When we have a mind like Christ, we no longer worry about justice for me. We're not concerned about sticking up for my name. I'm not concerned about making demands for respect and fair treatment. My, my kids love this phrase that just, just chews on my nerves. That's not fair. Dad, that's not fair. And I want to say, amen, sister. Now we can be more like Christ. Because the sooner you realize that life is not fair, the sooner we can move forward. And be more like Christ. But if you, if you live your life demanding fairness, if you live your life crying out, that's not fair. He got this. I got that. It wasn't the same. You mistreated me. You disrespected me. I deserve. I have the right to. No, you don't. In Christ, you gave that all up. I have no name. So step all over me. I don't care. Above, we saw Paul urge the believers to focus on others. Here we see Christ do the exact same thing. He took the form of man so that he could serve others. It's the exact same thing. We're, we're seeing, Paul says, look, do these things. And now we're seeing why. Because if you're going to be like Christ, that's exactly what he did. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Right? While we reviled him, while we disrespected him, while we didn't want him at all, 
he still wanted us. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Do you know that's exactly what he was doing by becoming a man, taking on the form of man? He was asking the Father for you. And he was asking the Father for me. He says, I want the heathen for my inheritance. I want him, and I want her. And he wanted me. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, we, we refer to Christ as the great physician. God is the great physician, not only because he has the power to heal anything and everything, but because when you cry out to him in the midst of your struggle, he says, I know, I know what that feels like. There's, there's no better physician than one that knows exactly what you're feeling so that they can diagnose exactly what you need. He's felt your pain. He knows it personally. His focus has always been on others. Above, we saw that we need to choose to be obedient to God's desire. His desire is to make us like his son. That's why we need to think like his son. Right? Here we see Christ submitting to his Father's desire for him. Let us see, he's, he chose to be obedient to the Father. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, because he, he desired the heathen, he desired to save mankind, there was only one way to do it. We had broken the system. Our sin had ruined everything. And only a perfect sacrifice was going to take care of it. Only a perfect sacrifice was going to get him that inheritance that he wanted. And that was us. Matthew 26, 39, it says, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This is Christ in the garden before he's about to go on the cross and die for all of our sins. The only way that he gets us is through that act. The only way he can redeem us, the only way he can save us is if he gives his life for all of us. And he's right before that moment, he's saying, man, this is hard. Is there another way? Not my will, but as thou wilt. Verse 24, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. There's nothing we've experienced anywhere near what Christ went through. Now, I'm not saying life is easy, but none of us have experienced that. And for the joy set before him, a relationship with us, he looked beyond the pain. He looked through the suffering. He chose to suffer because of what was on the other side of it. He chose to submit his will to the Lord because he knew on the other side of that is us, his joy. And we look in the mirror and, me? 
and rightfully so. See, when you choose to have a mind of a servant, it causes you to take on the form of a servant. When you take the form of a servant, God shows his approval of that servant. And the third thing we see is the father's response. We see that in verses 9 and 10. The father's response, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in the earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen everywhere. So he goes from having no name to being the only name. Right? He, gave, he gave up everything to get us, and, and we treated him like trash. Humanity rejected him and refused and, and crucified him. He had no name, and then... Isn't it awesome how God loves to turn those things around? Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way to be saved, and it's by the name of Jesus Christ. And that alone. He went from being rejected to being the only source of hope for all humanity. Revelation 19, verses 12 through 16 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. It's not because they couldn't understand it, it's because it only belonged to one. Nobody knows that. I know my name when it's called, but when that name's called, I don't respond because I don't know that as my name. He knows it as his. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he, he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no greater name than Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that gets that name. He's the only one that gets that title. That's why he's the only one that knows that name. And the second thing that God's going to do is he's going to make sure that no one will stand in pride. No one's going to stand in pride. He goes from no name to the only name and and no one will any longer stand in pride. Matthew 27, verse 29. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Can you imagine if, if that was enough? If that was the point where he had had enough, I don't know about you, I wouldn't have gotten that far, but if I'd gotten that far, that would have been the point where I snapped my fingers and eviscerated everybody. Forget you. You're going to mock me as a king? No one's going to do that again. God guarantees it. Ephesians 1, 20-23 shows us where Christ is right now. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. He's already above all names. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Right now, he's seated beside the Father. He's in heaven above everything, where he belongs. Revelation 20, 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. At the end, everybody's going to be on their face begging. Everybody's going to be judged. Everybody's going to recognize No one will stand in pride against Christ. And the third thing that we see God do is that all will finally agree with God and confess who Jesus Christ really is. All will finally agree with God and confess. Revelation 5, 13-14 says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So we started off talking about not having a name, not being prideful, not worrying about me, but focusing on others. But I know if you're like me, you're still thinking, okay, that's, that's what happens with Christ when, when he humbled himself and he laid himself down and he made himself of no reputation. God lifted him up into that awesome position where he deserves to be. But if I can be a little bit prideful and a little bit concerned about myself, what, what about me? What happens when I go through those things? What happens when when I suffer and my name is drugged through the mud and I have difficulty. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You see, my name doesn't matter, because the name he has for me is son. I'm his So what anybody else has to call me, I don't care. That's why if you forget my name and you say, hey, bald guy, well, that's me. I'll answer to that. Hey, dummy, I answer to that. I mean, just, it doesn't matter, right? My name is not any concern. What he calls me is my concern. The God and creator of all of the universe calls me his. Call me your worst. I I don't care. My name doesn't matter. Philippians 4, 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, which with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Look, what if you're totally forgotten here in this life? What if you never do anything that stands out and people don't, they don't remember you? That's, that's, that's one of the things that everybody's striving for. They, they want to be eternal. They want to be remembered. Man, there's only one way for that. There's only one way that matters. 
There's only one place you want your name to last eternally, and it's in that book. It's in his book of life. He hasn't forgotten your name. He's got it written down. He wouldn't forget anyway, but he's got it written down. He knows it. He's got it. He's got you. But the Lord knows me by my name, and my name is written in his book. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So what if I humble myself, and I, and I give, and I give, and I give, and nobody appreciates it? God does. Verse 10 of James 4 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. If nobody else sees it, who sees it? He sees it. And he shall lift you up. You put yourself in the position he desires. You put yourself in the position Christ exampled for us, exemplified, and he will lift you up. I don't need to elevate myself. I don't need to put myself higher. I don't need to climb over somebody else to feel good about myself. I can spend my life getting down low and lifting others up because I know that if I do that, God won't leave me down there. He's not going to forget me. He's not going to forget my name. He's not going to forget where I'm at. He's going to lift me up. He's got it taken care of. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. When he rises in glory above all, and all the world bows before his great name, he will not have forgotten those who chose to confess and bow to him now, willingly. He's not going to forget us, right? We're going to go with him. We're going to rule and reign beside him, along with him. We chose, we choose now to confess and believe and bow to the name that the rest of the world refuses. So what about me? I don't need to think about me because the Lord has never forgotten. I'll leave you with one more verse. Psalm 139, verse 17 says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. The amount of times he's thought about you, the amount of different things he's thought about you. Go to the beach, grab a handful of sand, and you can't count what's in your hand, let alone the amount of grains across the seashore. He's, forget, he's asking us to forget about us. He's asking us to focus on others. Because we know he'll never forget. He's always focused on us. He's always been focused on us. And his name deserves glory for all of that. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you again for the incredible gift of your love for thinking of us before we were ever born, for knowing we were desperate, we were selfish, 